Hello, and welcome to another Linklater's Payments podcast. Today, we're going to talk about killer acquisitions in the payments industry. I'm joined on the line by one of our payments regulation experts, Francis Hodgkins. And to guide us both through the world of killer acquisitions, we're also joined by Natura Gracia and Seema Ostrovsky from the Linklater's Competition and Antitrust team. Natura, killer acquisitions sound very exciting. But what are they? Thanks, Simon. Um, the term killer acquisitions is generally used uh, to refer to a, a situation where you have an incumbent or big company who buys a smaller target with the main purpose of removing them from the market before they become a real competitor. This term was coined a couple of years ago in relation to acquisitions in the pharmaceutical sector, where you could potentially have a pharmacy, established pharmaceutical company uh, buying um, a, a product from another company under development, um, and which effectively could eliminate uh, that innovative project from coming up to the market and competing. Now, since then, when it was first used in the pharma sector, it has been, it has been widely adopted in other sectors, and we are seeing it used more and more to describe similar practices in the tech and digital markets, where you would have big players buying innovative new entrants, which generally could result in the loss of potential competition. Thanks, Matura. So, what is it that makes a killer acquisition different from any other type of acquisition? So the usual characteristics that you find when there is a killer acquisition type of scenario are three. First of all, you would have a young startup with limited revenue. Second, you would have uh, usually a disproportionate price being paid uh, for that target when you compare it to, to those revenues. And thirdly, the startup and the acquirer would be active in similar or adjacent markets where it is possible that the startup could develop into a direct competitor to the acquirer in, in the future, or it might already be such a competitor. Now, an example of, of this is when Facebook acquired Instagram in 2012. And at the time of that acquisition, Instagram was just a photo sharing app with no revenue, and it was not yet selling any advertising space. It only had 10 to 15 employees. The deal at the time was reviewed by the then UK's Office of the Trading, and it was cleared under straightforward phase one review, um, as it wasn't clear that it would ever compete directly with Facebook in the social network space. The transaction also managed to slide under the radar of the European Commission because the relevant revenue thresholds to trigger filing uh, were not met even though Facebook paid around $1 billion US dollars, uh, for Instagram. Now, since then, as we all know, Instagram has grown massively and has become extremely popular as a social network, which appeals to the younger demographic that has been leaving Facebook. This has raised the question about whether Facebook effectively killed off what could have been a strong rival and whether the competition authority dropped the ball in allowing the merger to go ahead. I know that you and Seema have a lot of experience working with the payments sector. How are killer acquisitions relevant to the payments industry? Well, Francis, they're actually quite relevant because the payment industry shares quite a few similarities to the tech and digital platform markets. As you know, we've been seeing quite a lot of technological and commercial developments in that space with the rise of fintech. And these often have the types of disruptive effects to the competition that we would see also in the digital space as well. 
So what the competition authorities are really concerned about is incumbents in the payment sector feeling quite threatened by the new fintech players and that they might then try to carry out these preemptive buyouts to eliminate potential future competition through these so-called killer acquisitions. Now, in the payment space, we currently have three deals that sparked quite a lot of regulatory and media interest, some arguing that they have the same types of characteristics of killer acquisitions. So the first one is the PayPal Azettle, where in 2018, PayPal acquired Azettle, which is quite a well-known Swedish card reader supplier, and it paid $2.2 billion, while Azettle's valuation at the time was half that, so only $1.1 billion. And so it was this particular large price discrepancy that attracted the UK Competition and Markets Authority, who decided to call in the transaction for investigation. So the concern here was the discrepancy between the purchase price and the market value. Is that right? Exactly. So the CMA at the very end of the day did clear the acquisition, but only after they had quite a drawn out investigation um, in, in terms of a sort of a phase two review. And what were the things that the CMA looked for in its review? So there were two markets that the CMA looked at. First one is where the parties actually already competed. So that's the supply of offline payments through mobile points of sale, so MPOS. iZettle was the largest provider of MPOS services in the UK at the time. But there was also a second market which related to the omni-channel payment services, which is really the provision of integrated online and offline payment services, where PayPal was active through its PayPal Here business, and iZettle was just starting out to offer a limited online service. So what the CMA then had to do is look at forward-looking evidence to see what the likely state of future competition between these two players will be in this omni-channel service, but had to obviously acknowledge this was a very fast-paced and dynamic market. At the same time, it did actually specifically address the question whether PayPal decided to buy out iZettle in order to eliminate this new and potentially significant, significant competitor to PayPal. But what the CMA actually found was that in the absence of the merger, iZettle would probably have just continued focusing on its existing MPOS services and would have probably remained only a marginal player in the omni-channel space for the foreseeable future. There were also sufficient competitors in the market, which is also very helpful to CMA's analysis. So at the end of the day, the competition authority was satisfied that the effect of the acquisition was not to achieve this nefarious removal of a potential significant future competitor to PayPal. Interestingly, talking about price discrepancies, the CMA did actually look at that and decided to see whether the price was meant to reflect a potential reduction in competition, but found no evidence of this. It was satisfied that actually the price had a correlation with the commercial valuation and the various synergies that were coming out of the transaction. And internal documents were super key to establishing this. So that's one example of, of a deal. What other deals have happened recently in the payments industry? So another deal that has caused some scrutiny for similar reasons uh, is MasterCard Net. Um, NETS is a payment processor in the Nordic region. MasterCard announced uh, that they would acquire uh, a part of NETS business uh, uh, that relates to real-time account-to-account uh, payments. The purchase price for that was 2.85 billion euros, so quite a hefty purchase price. So what is it about this deal that makes it seem perhaps as a, as a credit acquisition? 
Right. So it is an interesting one, I have to say, this deal, because NET is not the typical new kit on the block that killer acquisitions usually in, involve. In fact, as I mentioned, NET is, uh, or the business that MasterCard is buying, is, uh, is part of a wider and very established payments business uh, that the NET has. And it's active in many European jurisdictions already, this business. So it's not like you have uh, just a potential new, new entrant. However, it could potentially be a new entrant in jurisdictions where MasterCard, through its subsidiary Bocalink, is currently present. There are also certain other factors that may be relevant for the purposes of uh, a potential killer acquisition type of concern here. First, uh, the acquirer is MasterCard, who's one of the largest payments scheme operators globally. You couple that with the fact that the deal represents MasterCard's largest ever acquisition, and, and this is bound to pique authorities' interest in, in the transaction. Second, the purchase price is significant in relation to the current revenue of this net business. And like Seema mentioned earlier, that's a similar concern that the UK CMA looked at in PayPal iZettle. Thirdly, the payment infrastructure market can be a winner-takes-it-all type of market, especially because a lot of the national payment infrastructure systems are the result of public tendering processes. So once you win a tender, you effectively may end up uh, for many years just setting up the infrastructure for that particular country. And these could increase the incentive on the incumbent to basically prevent a new entrant or try to, to prevent um, competition from a new entrant. In this particular case, actually, prior to the acquisition, NET and MasterCard were rivals in the tender to develop components for the UK's new payments architecture project. This is a tender that is worth billions to the UK economy. And as it appears from uh, public announcements uh, and, and press, following the announcement, um, NET uh, withdrew from the tender in the UK. It is actually this alleged or potential exclusion of actual or potential competitors that concerns the competition authorities. And basically, they don't want large firms buying out their future competitors and reducing competition in the market. Now, as I said earlier, the European Commission is now in the process of reviewing this merger, and it will be interesting to see how it looks at the case and where this all comes out. And you mentioned earlier that there was a third deal in the payment space too. Yes, um, that relates to Visa. In January this year, uh, Visa announced its intention to acquire a, a US fintech payment service called PAT for 5.3 billion US dollars. PAT develops APIs. Um, and these APIs facilitate online payments by acting as a bridge between consumers, traditional financial institutions, and developers of fintech apps. It basically allows people to link a service such as TransferWise to their bank account. The deal in question has gained quite a lot of media attention, with some people characterizing it as a potential killer acquisition on the basis that, on the one hand, we have Visa as a global payment system, and on the other hand, we have Plat, which is a startup, a new entrant into the market. The purchase price is twice Plat's 
final private evaluation. So going back to uh, PayPal, iZettle, and MasterCard Nets, we have a significant purchase price in comparison to the revenues and the valuation of the targets. And then the parties are active in adjacent markets. Now, whether this is a genuine strategic acquisition is something that will be assessed uh, by competition authorities, at the very least uh, in the US, uh, because Platt is primarily a US-based business. But there's also been press coverage suggesting that the UK uh, Competition and Market Authority may be looking at these deal tools. So we will have to see where this all lands. Thanks, Natura. And going back to your example of Facebook and Instagram, Seema, do you think the competition authorities are worried about that kind of situation happening again? Yes, I mean, absolutely. This kind of in hindsight example has put killer acquisitions in the spotlight and raised quite a few concerns. The first one is the enforcement gap. So there is this worry that many killer acquisition type deals actually escape review by competition authorities because generally the targets are very small. They're young startups with limited turnover, as we've discussed some of the other examples. And so they generally don't meet the turnover or market share thresholds that are required to trigger a merger filing. So, for example, the Facebook Insta example in the EU. However, killer acquisitions also raise another debate, which relates to this whole crystal ball gazing that the competition authorities have to then engage in when they assess the acquisition. In essence, what they have to do is predict the future and say what they think the parties will evolve into, how they will innovate in the absence of the merger, and what the competitive landscape will look like in the future. As you can imagine, this is very difficult at the best of times, but even more so when you're looking at new entrants with very little information or track record. Athena, are these killer acquisitions an EU phenomenon, or are they also relevant here in the UK? Absolutely, definitely a hot topic in the UK as well. In fact, the CMA was so concerned about this, they actually commissioned an economic consultancy to have a look at past merger decisions in the digital market in the UK to see whether one, they reached the right outcomes, obviously in hindsight, and two, in retrospect, see whether actually the mergers have resulted in negative effects on competition and welfare in the UK. It also made some really interesting observations that are worth sharing. So the first one is that if you look at the tech giants, so Google, Facebook, Amazon, they made nearly 300 acquisition in a space of 10 years, ending in 2018. None of these have been blocked, and very few of them were actually reviewed by competition authorities because, again, the targets were too small to be caught by the merger filing thresholds. The other interesting observation, and again, not surprising given the characteristics we've shared with you earlier, the majority of these acquisitions are very young targets. So on average, they are four years old, probably around 60% of the cases. And for Facebook, the median age of its targets was only two and a half years. So this goes to the whole problem of crystal ball gazing, where the targets are obviously not established enough to really predict how they're going to evolve in the future and whether they will actually become um, a competitive constraint on the incumbents. Then what the report did is it had a deep dive into four high-profile acquisitions that were cleared by the UK Competition Authority um, and which since have been looked at. And um, some people think that they actually might have been killer acquisitions that potentially should have been looked at a little bit more closely. So these are, in 2011, we had Amazon Book Depository, 2012, Facebook Insta, 
2013, Google Waze, and in the same year, we also had Priceline, Kayak, and Expedia Trivago. And when it analyzed this particular set of decisions, they found that actually there were probably some gaps in the way these cases were analyzed. But to some extent, this was partly attributable to the fact that actually our understanding of the digital markets at the time, so we're talking about a decade ago, was probably less developed. Um, at, and so um, it, it did emphasize that it is actually quite difficult for the authority to predict the evolution of the target in the absence of the merger, especially in these dynamic digital markets. But at the same time, the report does suggest that competition authorities should probably be a little bit more daring and less conservative when assessing the potential of targets to develop in the absence of, of the merger. That's really interesting. And did they reach a view as to whether or not these so-called killer acquisitions harmed competition? Well, that's interesting because what the report did find is that not always clear if the competition harm has arisen because of these gaps in the analysis. In half of the cases, so Facebook, Instagram, and Google Ways, it did think that potentially they did lead to missed opportunities, uh, preventing emergence of sort of new competitive challenges, but it couldn't reach as good um, and a clear understanding of that in the other two cases. What the report also does, which I think is really important though, is that these very cases also resulted in efficiencies because acquisitions of small companies by more established larger ones can often also enhance competition. The logic here is that the acquirer can give the target, so the smaller target, the needed capital and resources for them to grow and innovate in a much better way or faster way than they would have done but for the acquisition. In fact, I would say that probably some of these companies would not have made it beyond the three to five year lifespan without the capital injection. And so regulators now need to be quite careful about balancing these potential benefits as well as the harms on competition when assessing these type of acquisitions. So given what Seema was just explaining there about having to balance the benefits against the potential harms, Natura, what do you think the competition authorities are currently thinking or, or planning to do in response to killer acquisitions? So that's a very inter interesting question because in a merger context, uh, competition authorities often tend to be limited by the deals that they have jurisdiction to review. Like most merger control regimes around the world uh, are based on turnover-based thresholds and whether the parties uh, achieve sufficient uh, revenue. And going back to what Seema was saying of the report that the CMA commissioned, there were probably 300 acquisitions in 10 years by, by some of the big tech giants, and, and most of them fell under the relevant records, so they were not under the deal. So what's really been happening, and the debate that's been happening at the minute, is um, around how to tackle killer acquisitions and whether actually the existing competition rules are fit for purpose, or whether new rules need to be created to specifically address this potential gap. And if you look at some countries like Germany and Austria, they've already introduced changes to their merger control rules to introduce what's called a size of transaction test, which basically will capture transactions uh, with a value of over 200 million euros, as in the price paid in Austria, and over 400 million euros in Germany. And that's precisely to deal with these, these 
potential gap where, you know, you may have a new entrant or a startup that uh, could become a potential competitor but doesn't yet achieve sufficient uh, revenue. And then you have the EU. At EU level, the European Commission uh, has published an independent report uh, last year, in 2019, which examines, examines the challenges raised by digital markets and suggests that the specific uh, characteristics of many digital markets, as in high levels of concentration, strong network effects, and high barriers to entry, justify the reform of established legal tests. In relation to killer acquisitions in particular, it proposes to shift the burden of proof to the merging party to show that any adverse effects on competition are offset by merger-specific efficiencies. And in effect, competition authorities, if this proposal was to be uh, implemented, would no longer have the obligation to prove the potential anti-competitive effects of a merger. This would present a radical departure from the current approach to merger control, which currently envisages that the Commission is the one who needs to point to a significant impediment to effective competition uh, if it wants to intervene in a deal, rather than the acquirer having to defend the acquisition from the outset based on pro-competitive effects. To presume, actually, that all such transactions are anti-competitive could be unduly disruptive and, and really could affect competition significantly, given acquisitions are one aspect of a competitive and dynamic market. It could also have a chilling effect on tech deals in Europe, which would impact Europe's, Europe's place as a key market for tech companies. So I think this change would really go too far, and the burden should still remain on the competition authority to prove the case for intervention in a transaction. Now, if we look closer to home, um, following the report uh, that Sima mentioned earlier, the LEA report, uh, reviewing past uh, mergers uh, in digital uh, markets, Andrea Cocelli, the CMA's chief executive, has noted that the CMA was envisaging evolutionary, not revolutionary, changes to its merger control regime and that it remains focused on using its existing powers, which is helpful. However, he did say as well that it would be important for the CMA to consider whether there might need to be some form of closer scrutiny for acquisitions by particularly powerful companies. It's unclear at this moment whether the more interventionist proposals will actually be carried through. By, by the CMA or, in fact, the European Commission. But there is undoubtedly more appetite by competition authorities to take a deeper and thorough look at a killer acquisition type of deals. And, for example, we're likely to see transactions at the very least being taken to a more in-depth phase to review, whereas previously they were cleared in phase one. More generally, the fact that we've seen the CMA become more interventionist in the last six years um, where, for example, six of the 12 mergers that they've taken to phase two uh, have been blocked or abandoned, um, there is a real prospect that there will be more scrutiny uh, by the CMA going forward. So given everything you've just described, what should firms, you know, payment firms, for example, be doing and, and thinking of um, in, in relation to these acquisitions? It goes down to whether really there's an intention to acquire someone to drive them out of the market or there's a genuine strategic reason why you're acquiring a, a deal. So 
I suspect, I mean, when you're going to acquire um, a business that is innovative, it has low revenues, but uh, that strategically might be very important for you as a, as a established payment provider, for example, you really need to be very careful about what your internal documents say and really assess the, the rationale for you doing this acquisition. Because if the acquisition gets reviewed by a competition authority, they will go through your internal documents and they will get to the bottom of the deal rationale. So I don't think, I mean, if you are engaging in a killer acquisition strategy, it's pretty clear that there might be um, a problem um, if the competition authorities um, um, review the, the deal. But, um, but I mean, so there's no way of mitigating that risk if your true intention is to actually eliminate competition. But if you um, genuinely have an interest in a new area of business and you think that's the best way of you expanding into, into that area rather than doing it organically, then the best mitigation strategy to avoid um, authorities putting a block on the deal or, or becoming difficult is making sure that your internal documents reflect the true rationale for your deal. Thank you very much, Natura, Seema, and Francis. We hope you have enjoyed listening to this episode. If you have any questions or suggestions for future topics for us to cover, you can tweet us at linklaterstech or email fintech.podcast at linklaters.com. Until next time, thank you for listening and goodbye.